Welcome to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Chase, and I'm here with my co-host, Lily. Hey, guys. We're a supernatural horror podcast where we tell each other scary stories that are allegedly true and often have a few drinks along the way. <laughs> and today we are both having drinks, which is pretty fun and exciting. Yes. What are you drinking? So I'm drinking Odell's, what is it again? Just the IPA. You sit there looking at the can. <laughs> just, just say Odell's IPA. We're good with that. We are drinking Odell's IPA. That's we what love, we're doing. We love Odell's. They're up in Fort Collins, and we toured that with our friends, Lisa and Jacob. Yeah. It's a great brewery, uh, great beer, good people. And I am drinking... <laughs> As you look at the can. <laughs> I am drinking Upside Dawn, a golden ale from Athletic Brewing. They're out of... I'm not sure where they're out of, but our good friend Graham, he works for them, and so... Yeah. I'm showing my support and enjoying me a safe beer right now. A so. safe beer. So before we get this episode rolling, we want to give a personal shout out to one of our regular listeners, Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. We had the pleasure of meeting her last weekend at a wedding, and it was a lot of fun getting to talk to her. Well, so, I mean, I've met her before. Well, that was exciting. Yeah. I, I had never been recognized before by... <laughs> Someone you didn't know. Yeah, which was really cool. Right. So it was a lot of fun, and it was great talking to you. So yeah. thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our episode. Basically. And also a shout out to Sonia, who I call Cat. Long story. Long friendship. But anyway, so she is basically the reason why so many people probably started listening to us. She just basically puts the word out, and I'm like praying that someone listens. She's our hype girl. Yeah, she's our hype girl. Exactly. So also, longtime listeners may have noticed that we do sound a little different in today's episodes. Don't worry. That is actually happening. <laughs> um, because we are in the middle of a sound equipment upgrade. We're changing our mics out, doing some new equipment. We're trying to sound better. So we hope it's going in that direction. And if it's not, don't worry. We're ironing it out. So yeah. be patient with us. We're figuring it out. But hopefully we'll sound better going forward. And every now and then in previous episodes, my voice started sounding all weird like I was a robot or something. That was a software error and we we were so sick of it. That's one of the reasons we're going to yeah. upgrade. I miss Robot Chase. No. <laughs> no one misses Robot no Chase. No one misses Robot Chase. Haven't you seen the Terminator? It's Bad Mojo. Oh my gosh, speaking of which, but anyway. Everyone wants my fat little robot self to take over the world. <laughs> Hey, if Mr. Robotnik can do it, so can you. <laughs> it's true. So we also got a movie recommendation recently. You mentioned Sonya Cat. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently the fact that I haven't seen this movie shocked her, and it's borderline criminal, apparently. <laughs> uh, she almost disowned you as a friend. So she told me that I needed to see this movie called Night of the Demons. Yes. So I had honestly never even heard of this movie in my life. But you've seen it, right? I've seen it, and I almost feel disappointed in myself for not making you see it ever. But you saw the original one, right? Because she said there I've were only, two versions. Yes, that's true. There's an true. 80s one, which she said is the best one, but she said the other one was worth watching. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was like 2010-ish or so when it came I think out. It, I think you're right. I've only seen the one. But she recommended that we see both, but I should definitely see the old one and the old one first. Yeah. So I haven't seen any trailers. I know nothing about this movie, which makes me really excited. So... Between this episode and next, we're going to watch it, and we will talk about it at the end of the episode next time. I mean, something from the 80s should be well beyond spoiler warning, but <laughs> in case you want to see it, we're going to try to talk about it next episode, and yeah, so at if least, you want to join, otherwise, yeah. when you get to that point, you can just turn us off, because you know, you don't love us. <laughs> we know. But anyway, so I think it's time for us to get to our stories. We both have a story today, which is good. You know, no splitsy-upsies or anything like that. We've had time and getting the equipment ready and everything is one of the reasons for the delays. But hopefully that means going forward we'll just sound better and everything will be good. So 
why don't we get rolling with your story today, Lily? Okie dokie. So what am I going to talk about today? So this is actually from my... I like how you asked me <laughs> like I know. <laughs> don't you know anything? No, <laughs> Let's this... <laughs> talk about Moon Knight some more. Yay! No, I'm just kidding. Actually, it's a really good show, but um, we're not going to talk about that. So I actually got this story from the page a day calendar that I had or that you got me oh, yeah. a while back that's all horror themed let and me, paranormal. Let me just say on a denim, she also bought me one. Mine is beer related. Hers is horror related. I've never <laughs> had a, a page a day calendar and you haven't either. No, I've never. I think we both have fallen in love with these things. I know. They're, they're ridiculous, but I'm so into they them. They are ridiculous and I don't, I have a hard time like justifying it because you are getting rid of a piece of paper each day and so i do feel guilty about I that i feel a little guilty i'm but not gonna to lie me, it kind of feels like when you get those advent calendars around christmas little chocolates except yeah. i think this is better than chocolates because those chocolates aren't even very good and they're gone in like four seconds yeah but these it's a piece of paper that actually has information you can use all day or think about or use for something else and it looks like <laughs> it's working for that now this one is actually very useful so yes zero that's, calorie that is where i got it <laughs> zero calorie um so my story is called the lady in black which is also known as Woman in Black of Acton, Indiana. Nice. Yeah, so I I thought it was strange that I landed in Indiana again because I did Indiana State University a while back with Barf and Barb. And, and I, <laughs> oh, Barb. <laughs> oh, Barb. Get your hurl on. Yeah, so we're back to Indiana. I think it's also interesting that it's a woman in black, whereas at the wedding I mentioned previously that we were at, you were required to wear black for your role in it so i thought that was pretty interesting it was decided upon that i would wear black (laughs) anyway so on july 1980 a man oh by the way i'm going to be just going into the story i'm going to be telling you a story perfect instead of any history or whatever okay here we go on july 1980 a man by the name of robert davidson was riding his motorcycle on i-74 through acton indiana which is near the acton campgrounds If anyone is curious, Acton is just southwest of Indianapolis. And as he was passing the campgrounds, he noticed that the skies were getting darker and the drops of rain became more and more frequent. So he decided to pull over to the side and get his gear out, you know, protective wear, blah, blah, blah. In his interview on Unsolved Mysteries back in 1996, he said that the last thing he remembered was pulling over, placing his foot down for balance, and that was it. Mmm... Now, what happened was that in that very instant, a bolt of lightning struck him. Oh, wow. Yeah. The impact was so strong that he was thrown off completely off his motorcycle, and his boots flew off his feet. So, <laughs> Oh, man. According to Reddit, he's dead. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. The minute you lose your oh, shoes, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's the one exception. So other people driving on the road in that very moment had witnessed the event and pulled over to call 911. According to those witnesses, they thought that this man was dead and could only watch helplessly as the scorched marks on his chest continued to emit smoke. Yeah, that's intense. When paramedics finally arrived, Davison still stretched across the floor and the rain continued to get heavier and heavier. At least it'll cool him off, right? A little bit. He's not on fire, (laughs) so that's for sure. Paramedics and firefighters Richard Niebert, Randy Niebert, Kimberly Cobb, and Mary Lou Schaefer rushed over to him and quickly realized that he was still alive. They proceeded to maintain his vitals, but despite their efforts, his heart stopped completely. Kimberly Cobb, a paramedic, was also interviewed on Unsolved Mysteries, and she basically said that there was no way Davison was going to survive. Oh, so this was on Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah, it was. I love that show. (laughs) 
Not immediately giving up, the paramedics began preparing the equipment to revive him. And as they were focused on their work, they also noted that their surroundings were changing and everything started to feel a little strange. Without warning, the ambulance truck shut off completely and everything but the rain was silent. Niebert, also interviewed, explained that the ambulance truck has two batteries. So in the event of one of them going out, the other one should kick in. The likelihood of both malfunctioning is incredibly slim. That's when paramedics saw a woman wearing a long black Victorian era style dress approach them. She was yelling over the crowd that she knew what to do. And she said, quote, I must touch him. I must touch him. I can save his life. And sounds like a pervert. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to touch it. <laughs> oh, my God. As she stood over Davidson, her long black hair flowed in the wind, revealing a Bible that she held close to her body. Witnesses, including the first responders, claimed that the air had an intense energy, static-like and cold, that they could feel pulsating from their head to toe. After a few moments, still looking down at Davidson, she finally spoke. Mm. The paramedics were stunned, and before they knew it, the woman had knelt down and started to recite the 23rd Psalm, intertwined with what sounded like gibberish. As she spoke, she also slammed the Bible over and over again on the ground and then finally gently placed the Bible on Davidson's chest for a few seconds. She stood up, held the Bible over her head, continued to speak in tongues, and when she was done, she turned over to Randy Niebert, smiled, and then walked away into the crowd. Did she bring her Bible with her? Yeah, she didn't (laughs) leave it. Definitely did not leave it. (laughs) She ain't a Gideon. No, uh... Yeah, this is in a hotel. (laughs) So, noting the entire time that even though it was raining, the woman's clothes and hair never seemed to get wet. As soon as a woman was gone, the ambulance truck turned on, shaking everyone out of their trance. And when paramedics looked down at Davidson, they saw that he was breathing again. So there were a (laughs) lot of people who witnessed this. Yeah, they were. So there were people that were just bystanders. And then there were firefighters and paramedics on the scene. Now, remind me when this was. Okay, so this story took place in 1980. 1980. In the summer. Yeah. Now, the paramedics continued to work on him, got him in the truck, and uh, rushed him to the hospital where he would fall in a coma for two months, but eventually would make a full recovery. I can imagine waking up and the nurse is like, I've got a story for you. (laughs) It may be hard to believe. Do you know where you are, for one? (laughs) Um, Now, aside from the strange way that Davidson was brought back to life, doctors were still very surprised that he survived at all. And they were pretty convinced that he was going to have some sort of physical disability or mental, especially since he was in a coma for so long. Uh, They actually interviewed Dr. Robert Iverson, and he admitted that best case scenario, he was going to live in a comatose state. Which well, obviously, so, yeah. So he sounded like he he got hit hard. He got it was bad. It was got super hit bad. With a bolt of karma. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what would he have done? I don't know. That seems to be outside the scope uh, of this story. That though. seems like a really. It's like God is like, okay, I'm gonna get this guy, and then he's like, what the heck, Victorian <laughs> style lady? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how it would be referred to by the Almighty. What the heck, Victorian style lady? That's that's how I would say if I was God. So whatever. Now, after the incident or the story came out, the media sensation began, of course. Since I've already mentioned Unsolved Mysteries has been involved, just just to kind of give you a sense of how big it got. Now, this also caused other witnesses to come forward to give their interpretation of the events. 
Now, the most shocking part is that some of these people claimed, including two of the paramedics, that they never saw a lady in black. Weird. Yeah. Although everything else did kind of remain consistent as well. Like, they did see the truck turn off. And they did feel a weird static energy, which they were very concerned because it was a storm. They thought maybe, you know, there were a lot of lightning occurring. So they didn't really uh, attribute it to paranormal activities or anything like that. So you're saying a lot of witnesses to this event. And then some people say there was this this whole moment with the lady in black yeah. and the Bible and crazy. And then other people who are like, that didn't happen. Yeah, like there was nothing. There was no way. They didn't see her. So you can already assume which story I'm going to assume is correct. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe she only presented to herself as, or to someone that might believe that wouldn't stop her. I don't know. Does that make sense? Instead Meaning of like. only some people could see it that way. Yeah. Mm. Or maybe, or maybe these are people who are just more sensitive and that's the kind of people that would have been able to see it anyway. I'm not sure. Now, I, your face right now is priceless. Oh, my God. I just want to think that if if there was a ghostly being and it could represent itself in many different ways, and mm-hmm. it's like, I want people to see me, so I'm going to show myself in this fashion, I'm really hoping they don't look at me and go, you know what, 1880s era woman, this is what Chase needs to see. Yeah. I'm hoping they give me something else, something a little more interesting than you know what, every ghost is from the 1800s. Yeah, that really kind of like made it weird that, again, another 1800s ghost. Apparently, uh, that was the hot spot for ghost activity <laughs> on Earth. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out one day why. Now, I'm going to talk about now the history of the Acton area. So, like I mentioned, there was the campgrounds, which was originally supposed to be a retreat for the Methodist community, and that was built in 1859. And at one point, it served as a Civil War hospital, which, as we know, that would probably create a lot of energy and deaths, and so that's always associated with being haunted. Also, uh, during the history, the campgrounds have had three mysterious fires, one in 1864, 1899, and then finally in 1905, which was basically the fire that forced the campground to close down. I just want to say... Uh, as someone who lives in New Mexico, mm-hmm. going six years without a fire, that's weird here. That's impressive, yeah. We're used to everything burning. <laughs> so, you know, them saying mysterious fire, you know, six years later, I'm like, is it mysterious, I though? Mean, yeah, right. And it's just in that area, that's the strange were, part, too. There were a lot of gender reveals in 1905. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, my God. Is that, like... I just want to know what's the leading cause of fires. If it's gender reveals, I I want to know. Now, even though there were fires, there are still a few remaining artifacts that are displayed in a museum that's nearby. One of those items is an old Victorian-style black dress that people claim to have been the exact same one they saw that day when Davidson was struck by lightning. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's like that dress, but they're like, that's the style. Other explanations that people have come up with is it was a spirit from the retreat and perhaps a former priestess or reverend, a goodwilled passerbyer, which I'm not sure how that would have worked if other people didn't see them. Sure. So I don't don't really think that's it. Um, And then what Davidson believes, and he thinks it was an angel because he believes Mm. in guardian angels. So that's a nice one. Although it's very interesting that his would be (laughs) a woman in black. Old Victorian clothing. 
telling me angels can't be goth. I mean, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to judge. So the woman in black, there's a few origin stories that I want to kind of delve into that kind of not necessarily explain the story that I just provided, but at least give you some sort of perspective as to why we may see this figure all the time. Sure. I don't know. Well, we'll see. You'll see what I mean. Sure. The concept of the black woman has been presented in so many ghost stories as long as we can remember. So a black figure is kind of a big deal. Something in a black dress. Now, not always necessarily in Victorian style clothing. Sometimes it's just like like a cloth kind of gown thing. But there's something about a woman black in black. Clothing. Right. It's always a woman, not a man. Usually a woman, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's another detail. And there's actually been like a lot of movies in recent media, and I say recent, I mean within the 20th century, sure. 21st century. Um, like for example, The Woman in Black, which has <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe that came out in 2012, and then there's other movies that are titled the exact same way. Someone finished that movie. Yeah. Oh, I haven't even started. I I didn't. I keep forgetting it exists. We should watch it. I heard it's good. Yeah, that's what I hear too. So other reasons that this image is so ingrained in our minds is likely from past historical significance. So, for example, um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, in Sardinia, Italy, and the surrounding regions, euthanasia was practiced on those that were terminally ill, were too sick to travel to a hospital, or had no means to travel. Mm -hmm. Now, to save these people from their constant suffering, a woman dressed in all black would visit these patients to euthanize them. This woman was called the acabadora, which stems from the Spanish word acabar, which means to finish or or end or terminate. So basically she was a terminator. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the acabadora... Robo chase is intrigued. <laughs> Finally piqued the interest, huh? So the acabadora would either suffocate or hit them over the head with what looked like to me a large hammer. I'd prefer a, uh, a switch like Belschnickel. Belschnickel. <laughs> yeah, they were being bad. So she's judging via the hammer if someone's been impish or admirable? Yeah, by health. <laughs> so this would have been a very controversial practice for from a religious perspective. It would have gone against their religious beliefs. But I guess people found a loophole and figured as long as they don't pay the acabadora, then it was okay. There's more to the ritual that's just going than just going and whacking people over the head. For sure. So they would also um, bring amulets or trinkets and kind of um, to alleviate pain. And also they would perform some sort of ritual that was supposed to like hypnotize them right before their death. Sure. Which I hope, hopefully that was somewhat helpful. It should also be noted that many anthropologists believe that no such practice ever occurred. So I don't know. There's kind of like a torn torn perspective of what happened back in history so like anthropologists are like there's no evidence of this happening and then people are like yeah they were probably trying to hide it oh, so sure, sure. i don't know do you know what i'm saying i feel like there's a leeway for it to be true but oh, also absolutely. we wouldn't really know so this was just one example of why women dressed in all black um that would be ingrained in our thoughts or like are in our history that also would have this kind of like feeling that maybe they would bring death or a bad omen sure and this is like literally just one example of so many i found i'm just giving you a couple that i found okay. pretty interesting now there's also one um article that i that i was able to find actually i didn't find it 
I was on YouTube and someone like <laughs> really did their research and I'm like, where are you finding these news clippings? So you copied their homework. I kind of copied. Well, you know, they were talking about it, but they were talking about it from a different perspective. So it's not the same story that we're telling, but they have news articles of sightings. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, there was a news article from June 28th and 1892 where the locals of Carpendale, Pennsylvania, had seen a woman in black roaming around the railroads. In the article, it was said that there were at least three different sightings within that past fortnight, each time just after midnight. Now, here's an excerpt from the article that I found particularly chilling. Quote, Though the men walked as rapidly as they could and then broke into a run, they could not overtake the figure in black. She kept a few yards in advance with the same apparent slow movement, and finally, suddenly, disappearing from sight entirely, end quote. Damn. Now, the reason the locals were getting really concerned was because, I mean, aside from it being super creepy, was about 50 years prior, in 1842, a black-dressed figure was seen in that same city just before a disastrous cave-in. Sure. And so they were really thinking, this is another bad omen, and they were kind of like on edge the entire time. Now, two months later, on August 11th, 1892, there were more sightings of the black figure, but this time it was in Huntington, Indiana. There was a report of a mysterious woman in black looking in the window of Murray's residence between 1 a.m. and 3.30 a.m. Now, many people spotted the woman until she finally disappeared behind the porch. So again, this is whole like, sure. we don't know why she's roaming around these areas, but she just... She just likes to hang out a little bit and then disappear. <laughs> creepy girl gonna creep. Yeah, <laughs> creepy girl gonna creep. Now, the skeptics reason that the woman was not a ghost or a bringer of bad news, but rather a mental patient from a nearby asylum. Yeah. Uh, that actually makes it creepier. It kind of, yeah, because now you're like, I think she she's trying to hurt us or like, I don't know, very direct. In another sighting, a clerk spotted the woman in black on their way home from working a shift at the Murray store. Now they saw her waiting underneath an evergreen tree. The clerk would also see her again the next night at around 11 p.m. in the same area. So I don't, I didn't get a lot from the news article. It didn't say like he didn't go after him or didn't uh, see her disappear. Sure, sure. Which I guess like in a way could kind of emphasize that it could be an asylum. And since like, I guess what I was reading about it is at the insane asylum. I don't know. I don't know if it was an insane asylum specifically. It was also housing people that were too poor or like had some other issues. The and downtrodden, it, the people who society wants to ignore. Exactly. It was basically a place to put them all in one place. So the unwanted. The unwanted, and it wasn't necessarily guarded either. So they were just they like just wander away. They can just leave if they want. Why even put people in an area? <laughs> like it makes no sense. It's like you're just rounding them up just so they can like be like, okay, bye. Like I don't understand. Anyway, so in just a span between 1901 and 1911, there would be countless sightings all the way from Fort Wayne a northern region in Indiana to Winslow, Indiana, which is like the super south. But all part in Indiana. Of it. It's basically all of Indiana. And there were about... It's their little chupacabra. Chupacabra. Or like uh, Yorona or something like that. Yeah. Or the... Uh, I can't remember her name. I want to call her like the the witch who takes her skin off. Oh. um. In the south. Why do I want to say Baba Yaga? That's like totally... I wanted to say Baba oh my Yaga God. too. The Boo Hag. The Boo Hag. There we go. The one, it was like one of your first stories. <laughs> yeah, my first thought was Baba oh Yaga God. too. And I was like, hmm. I was like, that is so not the same. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, so I counted actually 22 cities that had reported at least one signing within those 10 years. And another area that is said to have many encounters with the black lady, or the lady in black. <laughs> you should oh, fix that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Let me just start that over. Another area that is said to have many encounters with the lady in black is the Steps Cemetery, which is located in Martinsville, Indiana. It's considered to be the most haunted cemetery in the entire state. It's a small cemetery, which mainly consists of graves of children's and babies. Um, super well, depressing. No wonder it's the most haunted one because yeah. it's such a terrifying thing. It's so sad. I'm sorry. But there's one grave in particular, which has the engraving Baby Lester, 1937, is said to be very haunted. The mother of the child has been identified as Clethia Pryor, which I'm not sure if that's her maiden name or one of her married names. It's not familiar to me, though. But um, the woman is a woman dressed in black is often seen weeping over the grave. And they a lot of people just assume it's Clethia, you know, visiting her child. Sure. Which I think is interesting because if they're both dead, shouldn't they be together again? Unless it's like a residual haunting. Well, like, yeah, but remember, some ghosts stick around and we're not quite sure why for the reasons. I guess you're right. So maybe she stuck around, but the kid's like, peace, Peace, I'm, out. I'm in heaven or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. Which hopefully, yeah, exactly. So that, that makes sense, I guess. You're right, you're right. Now, um... Definitely strayed a bit from the original story that I told you about Davidson. And it's only because as I was doing my research, I realized that there were a lot of ladies in black. And I kind of wanted to bring attention to the fact of like what really was happening here. It's like a thing. It's like a thing. So why was she also in black? Why did she come and help Davidson? Why, why are we seeing only some people why, see her? Right. Why do some people see her? Why do others don't? And why does she keep appearing in our history? I have no idea. There are so many different interpretations, and it's really um, basically impossible to determine whether these are true and if there really is just one true origin. I don't know if this is like a specific manifestation because it's an it's almost like a marker for us to be able sure. to identify something so they come back a certain way, but I don't think we're ever going to know either. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is this is now on my list of things I don't want to encounter at night, and it's a very large list at this point, so... I'm just saying this is just one for the books, and I love it. So if I happen to see a lady in black late at night, I'm either near a goth chick yeah. or something crazy is about to happen. Or just me in a wedding again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Sounds like we have options. We have a lot of options here. Now, there is a funny coincidence that I realized a little, like, probably well into my research that I was like, wait a minute. I'm actually reading a book that's called The Broken Girls by Simone St. James. It's a fictional horror book. And it actually has a woman in black that haunts the boarding <laughs> school where the story takes place. And it's not set in Indiana. It's actually in Barron's, Vermont, which I don't know if it's a real place. I mean, I know Vermont is, but I don't know the city. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you mean the town. It's the town, for writers I meant, to make fake towns. The town states, I yeah. meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. And... <laughs> My point is, um, yeah, it was just so weird because I was like, wait a minute, I'm reading a book. I mean, granted, I'm halfway and it's taking me forever because I just, I I don't know why I can't just re sit down and read forever. Probably because I'm reading about a lady in black in other forms. But, you know, in this instance, I was like, oh, shit, she's also in my book. She's like everywhere right now <laughs> in my head. Anyway, that's my whole story. 
<laughs> that was my story. So what I got from that is there's a mythical place known as Vermont. Yes, a mythical Vermont. I've like heard it. of it. It's haunted. <laughs> okay, well, I think we should take a break for my story because I know I'm completely out of my beer. Okay, so we're back, and I have my other beer, and I think, Chase, you're ready, right? I am. So we've been on a bit of an ancient Egypt kick recently. <laughs> we talked about the curse of King Tutankhamun's tomb on this show a couple episodes back, but we've also been watching the Moon Knight show on Disney. Mm-hmm. So I also have quite an obsession with all things ancient Egypt, and I could discuss this stuff until the end of time. So because of all that... This next story understandably caught my attention. So get ready for an Egyptian-themed end of episode encounter, counter, counter, counter. Yay! Oh, man. There's, like, what is there? There's a show that really is dedicated to, like, ancient Egypt and conspiracy theories. Well, and it's like, not just ancient Egypt. Like, I know there's ancient aliens. Ancient aliens. Oh, ancient aliens. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering if this is going to touch on that or you just have something really offshoot. You know they may have? I don't watch that show because I don't it's know. a bit... Uh, crazy. It's a bit crazy. <laughs> uh, so they may they may have covered this. I believe that they may have. I Probably. Mean, it, it's, it's sensational to say the least. Sure. So the story I'm about to cover is extremely controversial. It is heavily disputed and usually outright ignored by skeptics. Mm. And as you can imagine, because of that, it is regularly cited and used by ufologists and believers. They're like, this is proof. And skeptics are like, I'm not even going to pay attention to this. (laughs) You're like, you're insane. This is the way it is. Fair. So I figure I will delve into it and let you guys decide how you feel about it. Keep in mind, there are quite a few pieces to this puzzle, so be prepared. (laughs) Today, I'm going to talk about the Tully Papyrus. Okay, that sounds absolutely not familiar at all. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either. Okay, good. But it was exciting when I found it. I'm like, okay, this is this is a whole bunch of crazy. Yeah. So the Tully Papyrus is a document that allegedly dates back to the time of Thutmose III. Some oh. people, particularly British, pronounce his name Tuthmosis, but uh, it seems like a lot of modern anthropologists pronounce it Thutmose, so I'm going to go with Thutmose. So okay. Thutmose III, even though he's the third, he's pretty much the one everyone's referring to when they refer to that pharaoh. Sure. Thutmose was the sixth Egyptian pharaoh to rule during the 18th dynasty. Although dates range slightly, his reign is believed to have been around 1479 BC to 1425 BC, or roughly three and a half thousand years ago. Quite some time. I mean, we're mm-hmm. closer to the year zero than this time was before it. So, okay, I see. L- long time ago. Sure. So we can say that the age <laughs> of this papyrus is substantial. And for those of you unfamiliar with the term papyrus, it is both the name of an ugly font choice on your computer, (laughs) but it is also an ancient form of paper people used to write things down on. And usually it would be several sheets rolled up together. People like using the term scroll or whatnot, but essentially rolled up old paper. And I don't know about you guys, but I found my old like paper from school and it's all brittle and falling apart and I'm not that old. So I'm wondering how this paper is lasting four or five thousand years it's or gotta whatever. be thick or oily or something weird i don't know it's magazine print it's, <laughs> it's magazine. super shiny it's got like a perfume scent on it if you scratch it i mean it's laminated let's face it <laughs> where the tully papyrus came from exactly is actually quite the mystery its namesake came from alberto tully 
who was the director for the Egyptian section of the Vatican Museum. And we actually got to see the Egyptian section. Yes, we did. It was it was small, but there was a lot of really impressive stuff there. I even yeah. got a picture where uh, there was a uh, carving that depicted Conchu. Conchu. It was like a moon. it was like a broken piece tablet, too, yeah, tablet thing. Yeah. And you know, Conchu, God of the Moon. It's all related to Moon Knight, my nerdy stuff. I'm not going to go into it, but that was exciting. So we went there, and it was really cool. The <laughs> Vatican Museum is not that big, but everything it has in there, these are huge historical pieces. So it's totally oh, worth yeah. your time if you it, ever find yourself. If you're there. ever just in the Vatican, you're just hanging out in Vatican whatever. City. You know, yeah. day trip, day trip <laughs> for real. Oh my god. So I had trouble finding out the exact dates that Alberto Tolli was alive or when he was a director of the museum. You know, that's just it's hard information to find. But this story takes yeah. place roughly like the span of it that's important is between like the 1930s to the 1950s. So that at least gives you a context for when this stuff was happening. According to the original story, Tully was visiting the house of an antiquarian in Cairo sometime in 1934. While there, he was shown a mysterious and ancient papyrus. Tully dutifully copied down the contents of the papyrus for, on, you know, a piece of paper of his own. Okay. However, it should be noticed that instead of copying it down exactly, Tully transcribed it using, I, I'm going to say like a shorthand, sh- a saying a shorthand, but it's a little complicated because most papyrus documents would have been written in hieratic. Yeah. So ancient Egyptian language, you know, things were written in hieroglyphics, but hieroglyphics were kind of specialized for things. Hieratic was kind of how they wrote legal documents, religious documents, all these kinds of things. But there's also multiple forms of hieratic and it changed over all these years, so it gets very complicated, but a lot of things that one form of hieratic used is a lot of shorthand, abbreviations, mm. generalizations and things to get things down and it appears that Tully copied down what, however it was written in the original papyrus using his, this form Their of erratic, shorthand, which would be shorthand. Sure. So we have to be very aware that assuming everything we're hearing is true, there is a huge chance for translation errors already and that, occurring. It's already, it's like translating twice in one shot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're copying something already, a transcription, and then you're shorthanding it, which is another interpretation of what you're interpreting already. Absolutely. Or like, yeah. And this enters the first obstacle that skeptics jump into. (laughs) Yep. So the papyrus was damaged as most things are from this time, which means there are gaps in the original translation. So there would have been sections where you couldn't read it. Maybe, Mm. Maybe a piece of the paper was missing or it was too smudged or too worn. So there's gaps. That's a very common thing with ancient translations, but it means you already don't have everything and you're translating it so you're missing more stuff. So anyway, he he copied it down using his own thing and years went by. Eventually Tolly would pass away. Okay. And some of his stuff, maybe all the stuff would get passed on to his brother, hmm. Gustavo, who happened to be a priest, I believe. So Gustavo found this manuscript or or this translation didn't quite know what to do with it, couldn't read it. And so he gave it to a man named Boris de, if I pronounce his name correctly or incorrectly, Raquel Wiltz. Raquel Wiltz. Hmm. Uh, could be Rachel Wiltz, which sounds <laughs> a lot like Rachel Weiss, but no. Okay. Uh, Raquel Wiltz. So he gave it to him to translate it. Now, Raquel Wiltz was an amateur Egyptologist, not a professional, mm-hmm. not a renowned and respected translator or anything. He was an amateur Egyptologist. Okay. I'm not trying to crap on him, but it's important to understand that he wasn't like, you know, uh, 
Like, he wasn't writing papers on it. He wasn't, like, on official Scholars expeditions. Scholars weren't going to be like, this guy knows what he's doing. Okay, gotcha. So he translated it. And he got this translation, and then he provided this translation to his friend, a Tiffany Thayer, who published it in 1953 in an issue of a journal called Doubt. Okay. Now let's talk about <laughs> Tiffany Thayer and the journal she published in real quick. Thayer was a founding member of the Fortean Society, and Doubt was one of the Fortean publications. Fortians are an interesting group of people. I'd never heard of them until Okay, then. I was going to ask. I'm like, I you've lost me a so, little bit. So we need to talk about them because I have a feeling we're going to talk about them in future episodes. No, no. I guarantee it. Because <laughs> okay. they're they're kind of wacky. They claim to use scientific methods to explain and investigate anomalous phenomena. Which by the way, just sounds amazing. Anomalous phenomena. It just sounds great. Anomalous phenomena is essentially paranormal and bizarre occurrences. Okay, right. So they like looking at paranormal stuff and investigating, and they claim to use the scientific method. The term Fortean originates with Charles Fort, who was a writer that lived in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He was particularly obsessed with studying these types of phenomena, and he wrote about them, so his writings got prolific with mm -hmm. a certain group of people. Some examples of the topics he wrote about include teleportation, Levitation, Ooh. abductions, poltergeists, even UFOs. Yeah. So he was all into it. He was like, I, I love this stuff. <laughs> now, it is important to note that, in general, even though 14 ideology claims that they want to explain the phenomena using scientific means, it suffers from one big issue, in that they aren't actually trying to disprove anything. It's, oh. a, it's a whole thing, and I don't want to get into it too much, at least not in this episode, but most people don't actually understand how the scientific method works. It's kind of like... Oh, God. Well, but, but I mean, a lot I mean, of people you run into, like when we watch a lot of those ghost hunter shows, I, I'm witnessing a lot of people who don't actually understand how science I works. I don't think that's fair to say, in my opinion. Well, I know, but in general, you should be constantly trying to disprove something. The idea is something is only considered a fact if... It has rigorously been attempted to be disproved, and no one can disprove it. And so just accepting something based on one experiment, despite the fact that it might have flaws in its methodology, it might have too many variables, too many other things. Well, I mean, I like, think that's, that's why they're skeptics. I mean, there's no other way Absolutely. of putting that. Absolutely. So. But, like, for instance, a good example of why 14, the Fortean methodology would be they would see a picture with an orb in it. Mm -hmm. And I love talking about orbs on here because I am a vehement hater of orbs. Yeah. Uh, they would see it and they and they would say, well, we, the room wasn't dusty. We were in there. It can't be dust close to the lens. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, it must be a ghost. And they're done because yeah. their scientific methodology was we were there. There was no dust. It wasn't a dusty room. Whereas someone else would be like, well, there's like 50 things it could be. We need to knock this around and try to prove that it's not any of these before we can just say, I bet it's a ghost that's a blob. Right. So anyway, just just I digress. But so this translation was published in this journal, the Doubt Journal, and this is what the translation said. So we're finally getting to what Tully's papyrus said and why why it was such a big sensational splash. By the way, uh, like I said, there were sections missing, so whenever there was a missing part, I'm just going to say the word blank, because I didn't know what else to say. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that, just so you know, that there was a missing part, and we don't know what we was We should said. put, like, a really funny sound effect. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway. In the year 22, in the, oh, by the way, quote, 
In the year 22, in the third month of winter, in the sixth hour of the day, the scribes of the House of Life noticed a circle of fire that was coming from the sky. Blank. From the mouth it emitted a foul breath. It had no head. Its body was one rod long and one rod wide. It had no voice. And from that the hearts of the scribes became confused and they threw themselves down on their bellies. Blank. Then they reported the thing to the pharaoh. Blank. His majesty ordered, blank. Damn it. <laughs> has been examined, blank. And he was meditating on... Blank. You know, and he was meditating on what happened, that it was recorded in the scrolls of the House of Life. Now, after some days had passed, these things became more and more numerous in the skies. Their splendor exceeded that of the sun and extended to the limits of the four angles of the sky. Blank. Hmm. High and wide in the sky was the position from which these fire circles came and went. The army of the Pharaoh looked on with him in their midst. It was after supper. Then these fire circles ascended higher into the sky and they headed toward the south. Fish and birds fell from the sky. Ooh. A marvel never known since the foundation of their land. Blank. <laughs> and Pharaoh caused incense to be brought to make peace with the earth. Blank. And what happened was ordered to be written in the annals of the House of Life so that it can be remembered for all time forward. End quote. Okay. So wow. there's a lot there. There is. And we should talk about it. It claims multiple instances of floating, burning objects in the sky. Now, they use the term rod. They said it was one rod mm -hmm. wide and one rod long. So using the translations that I could, that essentially equates to being about 15 feet or 4.5 meters wide and long. Okay. So that gives you five of how big it is, you know, like the size of a of a bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. In the sky, and they were so bright at one point, they were brighter than the sun, and they stretched all across the sky, and they moved in a south southern direction. Which would have been very strange for the time. Absolutely. I think strange for any time. So, <laughs> yeah. so what do you think about that? What do you think was going on? I have no idea. Like, I mean, obviously, if we're on the channel or the show Ancient Alien, I'm going to go ahead and say alien. But is there is that the only part of the translation that was transcribed? Or, like, was it, is there... That's all we're given. That's all okay. that was published. We don't know if there was more. There's claims there was more be, that, that dates it very specifically to being in that dynasty and with that time. But this was the part that was published because these are the ones they cared about. I mean, the only other thing, you know, we always say, like, oh, a meteor shower or something like that. And... And that would kind of make sense, except for the whole birds dying from the sky. Exactly. So, yes, you're you're hitting all the points I wanna I wanna cover. So absolutely, you're you're right there with me. So I think there's three obvious options. There's probably <laughs> other options, but these are the three obvious ones. Option one, they were witnessing a particularly incredible meteor shower. Mm -hmm. The problems with translation make it hard to tell if the objects were only there momentarily but there were thousands of them appearing and disappearing as they moved, or if there were a few of them that stayed stationary in the sky. You know, if they're stationary in the sky, it's obviously not a meteor shower, but if they just keep seeing these bright lights coming in and they're, they're covering the sky, and then over time, they said it was moving southern in a southern direction, you can assume with rotations, the earth and everything, perspective might change, and they, and they said they started noticing this more and more at night, remember after supper is when yeah. we started seeing more. There's a lot here that says meteor shower, but then we've got the whole fish and birds from the sky, because meteors aren't going to do that. So when they say fish... 
being they... swims in the water <laughs> tastes like tuna fish. Do you think maybe they're describing a crazy storm? Because I've heard fish flying. Yeah, there this, there was that like... one story. Oh, man, I want to say it was, it was like Europe sometime in the last couple hundred <laughs> years where all of a sudden like some fish came down because there was some crazy storm. Yeah. I don't think that's what's happening here. Like a tornado or something. Like I just, I doubt it, but you know, I'm just asking. But because the translation issues that we've run into, I don't know specifically what it was supposed to say. So are we misreading something here? We don't know. Yeah. So option two, and this is the one where some really weird stuff went down. Yeah. Okay. Like we just say craziness <laughs> happened. The birds and the fish falling from the sky isn't something that happens during meteor showers, at least none of the ones I've seen. Yeah. And so the the papyrus is describing something absolutely bizarre. But what? Because it doesn't sound like UFOs we've heard of before. Mm-hmm. So if we say they're UFOs, for the most part, the only thing close to this was the Nuremberg sighting when there was weird shapes and lights in the sky and, yeah. and it kind of described like a battle in the sky. A this holy seem battle. Like a battle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, why would there be a swarm of UFOs in the sky and they don't do anything? There's no encounters. There's no abductions. There's... Nothing like that. They just, a giant group said, we're going to go do a flyby and everyone can check out our lowriders and then we're out. Or maybe it's like, meet me at the playground at, <laughs> you know, after school to like fight. And then, and then like, Egypt was. there's humans here. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's get out of here. So something weird could happen. That's option two. Now, option three is that it's all fake. So now I just want to say that pretty much every skeptic unequivocally claims that this is fake and for good reason. The translation we received was a translation from an amateur who was provided a document secondhand from a guy who claims to have gotten it from his brother who claims to have seen it on a papyrus from a random guy in Egypt and translated it using shorthand. Right. This is a multiple levels of translation and word of mouth saying that's what this is, that there is no way to prove that I mean, this it's is real. Te- it's playing telephone. And the original papyrus, no one alive has claimed to have seen it in person. We are taking this on a bunch of words. So, consider. oh wait, so they don't know where this papyrus is? Like, like Albert Tully, since... the guy who copied it, he's the one who saw it. So we're taking his word that this was. Oh, authentic. I thought he brought that, or nope, like he was allowed to see it once. somewhere. So. He was allowed to see it once, and he transcribed it, and that was it. Hmm. So there is so much here where you're like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Yeah, that's kind of the center for me. Like, I want to believe it, but at the same time. If no one else has seen at uh-huh. least a paper, even if they're interpreting incorrectly, they're like, well, at least we know it's this that he was trying to translate. This is this yeah. is an anthropological version of I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's very good. And this is why most skeptics and researchers are going to be like, well, whether or not this is true isn't even worth my time to talk about because we have no evidence. Okay. Right, right, right. So. That's but- a little different because like. At least when people are like, I can't replicate this, I can't apply the scientific method, but I literally have this picture that I can't, that sure. I can't replicate, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? Agreed. But there's not even a picture of the scroll, yeah. which makes sense or whatever. Even, even if, if Albert Tully, Alberto Tolly was alive and he was able to claim this is what happened, that would give it more credit, but he never did. Mm-hmm. It was something that was given to his brother after he passed away that was given to an amateur translator. So there's just too many things here, but there's also another censure. Okay. And that is fish and birds falling from the sky. Okay. So it's really important to note that since this was published in a Fortean journal, the story of birds and fish falling from the sky is something that was talked about a lot in Fortean research because of the things we talked about earlier in, in Europe. They were obsessed with this concept. So what makes more sense? That was in 
the story. Let, let's just pretend this papyrus was real and translated. Yeah. What makes more sense? This papyrus talked about birds and fish falling from the sky, or they added it into their publication translation because they're pushing their agenda. Okay. It sounds like they're pushing agenda. And that's if we even pretend that the rest of this papyrus was true. But we're already dealing with the fact that the chances are this papyrus was fake. So there's a chance <laughs> that everything done here was fake. I mean, it's... Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. And you're probably right. I mean, I don't... It's so frustrating because I don't know what people are trying to get at when they make up stuff. And it's just kind of like discrediting if they're trying to like apply different concepts that have been heard in older stories from their own region or like whatever. I mean, yeah, like it just it's not very helpful. So if it did happen, that's crazy. But it just sounds like they're applying different um, other stories that we've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with that said, even if we just assume that it's fake, fanciful story... I have to admit, it's quite an exciting story. It's and pretty fun. And that's why I like it, because, I mean, there's something truly amazing about a sky filled with bright objects flying through the sky and it being witnessed by people in ancient Egypt who, you know, they wouldn't even have the same concepts that we do and people in the future are going to have concepts we don't even know about. But, I mean, that's an amazing thing. This is the kind of story that when I'm reading fiction... I love and I want it yeah. in fiction. So I have to, I'm giving it points for being a really exciting story, but it sounds like fiction, but in a good way. So I don't think it's real, but I do think it's a really good story. I really like it. I mean, I don't know. Cause okay, here we are. We're talking about it. We're tearing it apart. And yeah, like we don't really know what process they went through and how this guy is. Maybe he's like super into it, you know, the brother or whatever yeah. that found it. And he's trying to be, as respectful and like honest about it that could be the case as well i don't know and you know we're just trying to To assume everyone was wronged here is i think a bad way to do it right it only takes one bad egg to ruin the whole thing it really does and you know everyone else could be in good intentions and it's like this is a really cool piece of something you know what i mean it doesn't necessarily mean historical because we don't have the actual uh paper that it was translated from but at the same time there is so much stuff in ancient Egypt that is so buried still and oh, absolutely. or destroyed. Like, yep. we'll never see that again. And you never know. Maybe this was just like a... Or it could have been like a fictional story from someone in ancient Egypt absolutely. who was like, this is my fiction story, y'all. Like, this is awesome. Or we could <laughs> just say, we could just say that maybe the some people who publish this journal, they mucked some stuff up to push their agenda and we ignore that. Yeah. Maybe there is a chance... I think it's fake, but maybe there is a chance. <laughs> there maybe there is a chance that there was some shred of truth here, and what we had was a documentation of a meteor shower. Right. And that I actually kind of think that would be amazing, and wish we could see real documentation of a meteor shower. Yeah. So now, are you ready for my twist? Oh my god! <laughs> what? Okay, tell me. So fake or not? That isn't to say that amazing things didn't actually occur in ancient Egypt, or even during the reign of the III. There is a stone carving with hieroglyphics known as the Stella of Gable Burkhal. It depicts many stories about the victories of the Third. Now, he was a warrior pharaoh, mm. conquered a lot of people. It was, uh, at the time he ruled, it was the largest empire Egypt had ever been. Oh, it wow. It was absolutely okay. massive. So, he is... A very important pharaoh. One of the most important pharaohs that we know of at least now in our history. Okay. 
This stone was found during an excavation of the Temple of Amon in the Bayunda Desert. It was created in 1456 BC. People can go and... So this would have occurred just before... This would have occurred like 20 to 30 years before the story that was supposed to be in the Tully Papyrus. Okay. People can go and see this stone in person. It has been dated and verified authentic. This stone exists. Mm Mm-hmm. There is one particular passage. So most of this is talking about his conquering, his amazing things. His history. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's cool. And I read the entire stone. Holy I read cow. a translation of it. It took a while. <laughs> uh, I read the entire translation of it that was done by an academic journal. I was all about it. There is one particular passage on it that is quite intriguing. Like the papyrus of the previous story, there are damaged areas, so symbols are missing, and the numerous translations with various versions of this. So everyone's translation has variations because okay. i read of this particular passage i read three different translations and they are different yet the same so once again i will be using blank when something is missing these are the mm-hmm. ones where my heart breaks when it's missing because oh. this story is so good okay but here here it is this is the let's, passage that on this actual stone you can read let's do it may you know the wonder of blank before the people to come to meet in the night to carry out the regular watch there were two observers a star fell, falling to their south. The like had not happened before. It struck them opposite to him. None could stand there blank in heaps. But oh, Yeah, right? But blank <laughs> after them with fire in their faces. None of them offered resistance and none looked back. They no longer had horses which had fled the mountain frightened. Such is the miracle Amon did for me to let all foreigners see the might of my majesty. End quote. Ooh, okay. A star falls, fire, people terrified, and they're on a mountain. So this is absolutely incredible to me. So this is real. And and it's not metaphoric, maybe? Like he's the star uh, and man, you're such a smart one yeah. here. Okay, so <laughs> So even with the damage sections, I think it's an incredible story. And at this point, I can only speculate what this means. Many consider this a documentation of a natural phenomena. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a meteor came down and hit Very likely, people. too, yeah. And people said, this is so amazing, it got documented. It was told to the pharaohs, like, we need to incorporate this. This is demonstrating my might and the gods and blah, blah, blah. A 2013 article in Review d'Egyptology, which is a foreign... Uh, academic journal okay. suggests that this story was meant as a metaphor for the king attacking his enemies and that the king himself was like a star mm-hmm. falling and scaring and, absolutely yeah. and when you read most of the rest of this it's talking about how he's you know comes in and destroys people and everything like this but at the same time this section did read differently almost like something crazy happened and they wanted to relate it to his grandeur sure so yes it could be a metaphor, absolutely. In that 2013 article, I couldn't get access to it. It's a, it's a scholarly journal. I could not get free access, and I wanted to read it. Boo. But the abstract posed that the article suggested it could have been a metaphor. As easy as it was for me to dismiss the Tully papyrus as a hoax, this story gave me pause. I really wish I could read Ancient Egyptian because I would love to see how the different translations interpreted it firsthand. And to me, the imagery is so specific that it doesn't feel like a metaphor. It feels like something actually happened because this is a pretty specific metaphor. Something, fa- mm-hmm. a star falling from the sky, causing fire, scaring animals away. This 
doesn't feel like a metaphor to me. This feels like something happened. When and he it was said, witnessed. yeah, when he said that the animals, even the animals fled, or that the animals fled, it wasn't just even. Like, yeah. it was everyone. It was the animals who were yeah, like. Yeah, he specifically said the horses ran because they were scared. Yeah, I don't know if that's, you know, very. I don't know. It's not as powerful as they would say everyone ran away from me or like you know they were scared because i was so powerful and the reference to the god that's what made me think it was metaphorical because like they were obsessed with the connection between the pharaoh and the god so it was almost like a show of his reign it it should be noted that one of the translations i read didn't even mention the god and the other one did oh which i think makes it complicated like i said there's translation issues because some of one of them mentioned blood the other one didn't. Mm-hmm. So it was complicated. The, right. the translations, there's some issues, but they everything else was pretty similar, talking about the star falling, fire, and yeah. fear, and animals running. So I tried, to, I tried to keep only the stuff that was for the most part in all of them, but I added the God part because the other one that didn't mention the God had some of the words in that sentence, but arranged in a different way. But I do think that this story has a celestial component to it. Whether or not it's a UFO or an alien, I don't know. But something about it is creepy, and something mm. about it feels ancient and mysterious, and it just makes me want to know more. I want to know more about this. And this was I just wish we knew. Yeah, I wish we knew. It's it's definitely one of those things. Like it was it was there more to it, and even if there isn't, I just want to know exactly what it yeah. is that they were trying to say. And I just felt that last part deserved a moment's consideration. <laughs> And that's my story for today. Woo-hoo! Oh my god, that was a really good one. And you're right, we have been like a little ancient Egypty obsessed. And then with Moon Knight, it just feels like my whole world suddenly surrounds this time frame. And we must have more of it. Yeah. it's so good for us. It's pretty good. I think that brings our episode to a close. But real quick, we're recording this the day after Alien Day, which is 426. Because it's oh, named yeah. after planet LV426 from those movies. So I don't know if you guys celebrate it by watching one of the Alien films. If you haven't. You can always celebrate it late. I highly recommend you watch either Alien or Aliens in the next few days just to celebrate one of the coolest, scary Alien movie franchises that's ever been made. Oh, that's right. I forgot that that was happening. Oh, my God. That actually reminds me. So today I got blood drawn. I just had, like, a yearly physical today. Sure. And so I went, and the woman who was drawing my blood, I don't know if she's just used to continually talking to, like, ease the person that they're trying to, like, stab with. Right. So either way, she was really fun. And she was like, oh, have you seen Miss Congeniality before? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen that movie. And she's like, so on April 25th was the perfect day. Because you remember in that movie where they asked the beauty contestant, it's like, what's your idea of a perfect day? And she's like, April 25th, because (laughs) it's not too hot and it's not too cold. It's just perfect. So anyway... If you enjoyed the 25th, I hope you guys had good weather. I think ours was decent and a little windy, but Yeah, it's been so windy yesterday. I don't yeah. remember the 25th being bad. So I don't think good. so either. Maybe yeah. It was a perfect day. <laughs> so anyway. Thank you, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> yeah, um, I just thought I'd mention that because I just, like, that keeps sticking in my mind. It was worth mentioning. It was worth mentioning, I'd say. So thank you guys for joining us today. If you have any comments, questions, or personal scary stories you want to share for our upcoming listener episode, please let us know at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. We post episodes every week. And cheers to those of you who are drinking along with us. And if you're not because you're being responsible, we hope you can have a drink or something fun later to relax. And if you're listening to us because you had too much to drink last night, don't worry. Because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. See ya.